At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today joining me for episode 89 are Brian Joyner and Matt Collins. Welcome back, guys. Gang's all here. Thank you, Jake. It's been a while since the gang's all been together. We've been uh, rolling with the duo for a while, so this is good. Um, I want to lead off today by talking about the Red Sox catching situation. We're going to skip no beats, jump right into it. Um, Sandy Leon has been incredible since the uh, the injury to uh, Christian Vasquez. Uh, Vasquez went down with the finger injury, and since that time, uh, Sandy Leon's been getting the bulk of the playing time. And uh, Sandy has been really good. We knew that he had been really good in the past with the pitching staff. Um, but some of the quotes that have been coming out more recently have been a little bit more telling uh, as to just how good he is. Uh, one from last night that Evan Drellick actually uh, got from Rick Porcello was, he's the best catcher I've ever thrown to, uh, and he called him the heartbeat of the pitching staff. Uh, Cora has mentioned in the last week or so uh, how creative he is behind the plate. We all know how much Chris Sale likes to throw to this guy. Uh, my question to you two guys is, how does the team sort of justify not allowing him to stay in this type of role? Uh, even when Christian Vasquez comes back. Because I guess the thing that I'm thinking is that neither one of these guys is very impressive offensively, but if Sandy Leon gives you this type of an advantage with the pitching staff, then I think you have to go with him. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any question that he's going to be the guy the rest of the year. Um, I mean, Vasquez isn't going to be back until like September so that's not really enough time for him to get tuned up anyway, so he might even be the third catcher at that point. Yeah, I don't know what... I I honestly don't know... I don't know if I agree with the third catcher bit. I saw Jake tweet about Swihart and Leon as his favored pairing, and I honestly don't know how much it matters. Um, I do think that Leon is just He's obviously earned it. People throwing to him love it. Uh, he made that amazing play at third base against Toronto, I think it was. Does I, I do see, for as much as people love him, like he does seem to have some brain farts back there, but I think they're part of his charm ultimately. Um, he missed a sign or something the other day, and the ball just went right past him. But I don't know what there is to say. I mean, he... Uh, no one has distinguished themselves with the bat, and at least he can hit some massive dongs, as we've seen. Um, and if he can do that, that's combined with his catching, that's definitely enough. Yeah, I think Matt brings up a good point when he talks about the fact that we're not really going to have to worry about it this year. I think the question really remains for next season, like looking forward, 
when you're when when all of these guys are healthy at the same time, Swihart has to stick or else he's gone. Um, and I I am unaware of how many options the other two catchers have, Leon and nobody has options. Nobody has options. Well, there you go. So I mean, they can't carry all three of these guys. They can't stash them. Um, Matt, what would you do going into 2019 in regards to this situation? Mm, I mean, it's probably a little too early to think about that, but I guess I don't know that I agree they can't carry them since they did it this year. Um, and if they think Swihart is that utility guy, then they could carry all three. Um, but I think they'll probably look and see if they can get anything they like for either Swihart or Vasquez and see which package they like better and maybe trade one of those. But if they don't, if there's nothing available that they like, I think they can keep all three if that's what it comes down to. So you do think that Leon is the guy that they'll try and keep above anyone else, though? As of right now, I mean, there's still two months or six weeks left in the season plus the playoffs. I mean, things can change pretty quickly. But, yeah, I think Leon's kind of ingrained himself in the fabric of the team. Brian, what's your thought process? I um, have all the respect for you in the world, Jake, as you know, I don't care about talking about next year's catchers. Like, I, I mean, I, it's an interesting thought experiment, but it's like very low on my list of worries because as Matt just said, even if they ran it back this year, and as I said to you guys before the season, they're doing without one of them and they've lost one game in August they've won 86 games so i'm not i'm not um worrying about next year's catchers is uh i don't have any thoughts beyond if they the status quo probably they probably wouldn't win 86 games again next year but uh some catcher disruption would cost them like like two maybe so if they win 84 games for this point next year Okay, so Brian emphatically gives no shits about the catching <laughs> Zero situation. Zero okay, shit. there's just a flashing light in front of Brian that says 86 right now. So uh, I guess we'll focus on this season for right now. Um, let's turn to a couple guys that have turned it around. Matt wrote a really interesting article today, I thought, about um, Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, Eduardo Nunez, and Blake Swihart, both going from really sort of weak parts on the team, guys who we criticized a bunch in the beginning of the year, to guys who have turned it around and become pretty trustworthy. So, Matt, I'll kick it to you. How the hell have these guys done this, and you know what's it mean for the team going forward? Uh, well, I think Bradley's the most important guy because, um, I mean, we've said it all year, but the best version of this team is Bradley in center field and uh, J.D. at D.H. And it was – there were times early in the year where it was tough to really see that alignment lasting because Bradley was so bad, but – I mean, he's just hitting the ball hard, and he's using the whole field. And for a little while, it kind of seemed like he was just hitting it at everybody, and the numbers weren't backing it up. But over the last month, month and a half, they've been the numbers have come around. So, look, we know Bradley goes hot and cold, and he might hit another cold streak. But right now, he him being as good as he is might be the most de- important development of the last, probably the second half. Um, Nunez and Swihart are just 
good bench pieces. I still don't want them playing on a regular basis. The sample sizes are small for both of their hot streaks, but um, when you get to October and you get to these even matchups in the playoffs, something like guys coming off the bench can tilt a playoff series. And so as of right now, I feel really good about having those two guys off the bench. Um, Brian, how do you feel about these three? I am not as uh, sold on the Nunez revival. Um, certainly, he's when he's put wood on the ball, uh, he's gotten some good results. But his defense at second base is obviously not. Well, ideal. I don't think he's going to be playing much second base. But he has Kinsley's been playing be some still. Well, I mean, when Kinsley's been here. He's going to Kinsley's going to be back probably Friday. Okay. That's good. Um, he, for me, Nunez is not, doesn't almost doesn't belong. I mean, he has had some good results, but it's, it's on a different scale. I think, I think he looks a lot like the guy he was before this year, both in terms of the way he's hitting and the way he's moving. I mean, I think he's moving better right now than he has all year. And that's always been a big part of his value. Mm, I mean, he has one stolen base. I mean, not that that's the, the be-all, end-all, but he has, like, Yeah, he's beat out some ground months. balls, though. He's taking extra bases. I don't know. I It just seems like he's not, like, hurting out there anymore. Yeah. I just – watching him hit when he's overmatched is a very difficult thing to do um, because he just can't lay off the slider. And if he guesses wrong, he just has some terrible swings. My point being, not that he's bad. Yeah, he's probably healthier and better, but I think JBJ especially is uh, – it's exactly what you said then and exactly what we said now. This is the best version of this team. The team got better um, simply by virtue of him rebounding. And it seems – I mean, this is a hot streak, and it's about the length that his hot streaks have been recently, but it seems – I don't know. It, it seems less illusory, and maybe that's just wanting to believe that there are some fundamental changes that he's made uh, that can make these change that can make these results sustain. And I also just think that I don't know how many players I've ever seen who can be as consistently inconsistent and actually run off these insane runs. Uh, followed by these incredibly long cold streaks, you'd think that you'd find a level that was more commensurate with his absolute talent level. And it's my hope that we're trending there, even if this hot streak tails off a little bit, because it probably will. And it's been, but it's been amazing. Uh, I like your wishful thinking, Brian, about this being sort of maybe a potentially more, more permanent change. For, for Jackie Bradley Jr. And I think I, I want to follow up on that point because uh, one of the things we've talked about a lot on this show and a lot of the things that people have written about about the Red Sox this year, talk about J.D. Martinez's influence with the team, you know, his green duffel bag of stuff that he has to help him hit and the impact that he's had on guys like Mookie Betts. And he's been working with Jackie as well. So I guess let me flip it to both of you guys. Is this just Brian being blinded by the uh, 86, or is this something that maybe we need to look at as to maybe JBJ has learned some stuff and he's 
cleaning up his swing a little bit with the help of guys like J.D. Martinez and Tim Hires? Probably a little of both. Um, I mean, I just, at this point, I don't think I can ever believe that Jackie Bradley is just going to be one guy for an entire season until I actually see it happen. Um, I mean, I think he's probably like a true talent 105-ish WRC plus guy and he's hitting way better than that so I don't know if this is his true talent but I mean I don't know like I just can't see it I want it to happen but until it actually happens I can't believe it ever will he gave his he traded halves with Mitch Moreland really (laughs) really did Mitch Moreland has not been good I mean he has some extra base hits but he's been very bad couple uh, clutch dingers in there couple clutch dingers in there don't get me wrong couple clutch hits but uh the numbers are pretty not great he hasn't exactly been getting a ton of playing time either i think we got to be fair to him he was banged up for a while and then pierce was super hot so he hasn't been like getting the same type of pt as he had been yeah but he's getting it in a platoon situation which would seem to favor him in some ways and it doesn't not the, the fruit has not been borne out. I don't really like he's he's definitely been awful, but watching him doesn't feel as painful as it has for some of these other guys who have been awful for stretches this year. He still seems like he's he like has a plan and he's not like just flailing around up there. So I kind of feel like he'll be able to bounce back. Probably not to his first half, but even to just like a league average guy. Yeah, he yeah. definitely sees pitches still during it bats. Yeah. Yeah, definitely different than when Jackie is not going well and it just looks like he's, you know, yeah. lined up there. Who, whose at bats are worse when they're going bad? Eduardo Nunez or Jackie Bradley? I think there's a charm to Nunez's absurd <laughs> aggression. Like, I, I'm totally here for everybody swinging like that. So, yeah, I'm I agree. Bradley. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's Bradley, unquestionable. I Nunez, get... Nunez decides before the pitcher starts his windup <laughs> if he's swinging at that pitch or not. It has nothing to do with act- what's actually coming at him. He's like a cartoon. He like spins completely around and his hat falls off. And yeah, he's, he's like up. me when I started playing baseball. When I was like 11 years old, that was like what <laughs> I did. And that's what he's doing. And I love it. <laughs> It is pretty charming. Since he is uh, running better, Matt, do you think that he's going to be the go-to kind of pinch runner in the playoffs? Or do you think mm. they'll go out and grab someone? I hope they go out and grab someone. Um, Terrence Gore just got picked up by the Cubs, and he was probably the best option. Um, but I, it could be Nunez. They've actually used Swihart a lot in that role. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if he, they keep using him. Um, but I, they don't really have somebody that I feel super good about in that role, so I kind of hope they get find somebody. Bring up Jaron Duran. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> I think Paulo Orlando is my favorite when I was kind of doing like a quick, quick search around the league. Is he still with the Royals right now? Yeah, I think he's in the minors, but okay. I mean, he can run. I, I assume he could be had for basically nothing. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he cost anything, then obviously I wouldn't want him, but yeah, that would be an interesting uh, addition to the team for sure. Um, Matt, the other article you wrote about was the bullpen struggles. You finally addressed them because uh, people have been addressing them on Twitter for uh, the last 
month of one loss baseball that we've had. So um, <laughs> got to have something to get pissed about. But uh, my first question for you, Matt, is have you come around on Ryan Brazier? Because the first time we sort of talked about him on the podcast, you were not thinking that he was a guy who was going to be fit for any sort of high leverage situations. Um, but since then, he's continued to look really good. He's been consistent. He's got that 97 mile per hour sinker. He's got a slider and he has a splitter he throws sometimes. So uh, he's been a really good story. Do you think that he's going to be part of that playoff equation in the bullpen? Yeah, right now I think he's part of the playoff bullpen. It's just a matter of where he slots in. Um, I still like Thornberg and Hembry better than him. Um, probably in the minority there. But, I mean, he's definitely gotten better results. I still feel like his fastball doesn't move that much. Um, I mean, this his slider has been nasty. I've been really impressed by that. That's looked better as the year's gone on, but... Ultimately, I think it's those three guys fighting for kind of the fourth spot behind Kimbrel Barnes and whatever starter ends up in the bullpen. So I don't know how big of a role that really is, but Brazier's at least in the conversation for that. I think that fastball is a little bit better than you credit it for. It's got a lot of weight to it, it seems like. It's a heavy fastball. Guys don't do much with it. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. It just... I mean, look, obviously I've been wrong so far, definitely not saying that you should be listening to me i just don't i think he's a major leaguer i don't think he's better than thornberg or hembry i guess brian how do you feel compared to those two you trust him more or less i trust him less but not as you sort of indicate because of the stuff um it's just a matter of getting out there and doing it. Hembry has not been ideal recently, um, but he's still been fine. Uh, they certainly like Brazier. And as you were saying, like he, that's a real, that's a real fastball. Um, and that at bat he had too. I can't even remember who, where he got ran at full and just got a bunch of foul balls. And then finally threw the slide. Oh, that Mancini? Yeah, yeah, that, that Mancini. was, that was, beautiful and that was a that was a big as jake would say that was a big boy that was a big boy at bat and mancini had been hitting really well too he'd been seeing the ball so i definitely think he's he's got a role uh but i i'm guessing he would slot behind those guys but at the same time i find the bullpen usage a lot less uh maybe in the playoffs it's more where you slot but uh in the stretch uh it's more who's fresh and i think that he's used in interchangeable situations to hembry depending on freshness though he probably wouldn't be the first choice yeah i, I want to get back to that at bat you just talked about brian because i think that was pretty telling at bat um one of the things i've been impressed with from brazier because maybe he is older i think he's what 31 30 something like that he's over 30 at this point um since he's been kind of a journeyman, I mean, he was drafted in 07. He played in Japan, I think it was last year. His pitch sequencing is pretty good, um, and he sets guys up effectively. I just think that, like, there's a little bit of extra guile to him that you see from guys who have experience, and I think he's showing that. Um, and I think it just helps the stuff play up a little bit more. I mean, he does have experience. He's been around for a while so 
I mean, he's, what, 32? Something like that? He's not someone's, a young guy. Someone's got to figure this out. He's he's either... He's between he's 30. 30 and 32. He's 30, yeah. Okay. When's his birthday? Um, He's about to turn 31, actually. Okay. August 26th. Oh, okay. Happy early birthday, Ryan Brazier. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. I thought he was, like, 24. I never even looked. Wow. No, he's... Well, he's had a couple of Tommy John surgeries. He... Has been coming Matt, back. Please, last one. Tommy is John. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was pretty good. I like that. Um, so I was recently reading an article about him, and it was really interesting because he actually had to email Ben Crockett, the farm director, to get a tryout. Like he he literally just penned him an email and was like, "Will you come watch me pitch?" And they gave him a date and time, and he showed up and pitched like he did and then the first time that some of the Red Sox guys saw him um, because none of them had heard of him obviously um, they were like who the hell is this guy with 97 miles an hour and a bunch of sink on his fastball so it's kind of cool when stories like this come about yeah definitely I mean I'm obviously rooting for the guy um, let's talk about the bullpen as a whole though because it has struggled a little bit you guys mentioned the sort of the main culprits for the struggles. I think the Barnes struggles are a little overrated. So we'll talk about Thornburg and Hembry and then Kimbrell for sure. We talked about Kimbrell on the show last week when you weren't on, Matt. Um, but what's your take on the whole unit? I mean, is there reason to be concerned or is this just a blip in the radar because it's August? There's reason to be concerned because there's always reason to be concerned. Um, I mean, this... It's just the nature of bullpens. Like, they're going to blow games, and it's impossible not to be concerned when you blow a game. But, I mean, you look around the league right now, and there's, like, one or two bullpens that are pitching well. It's just that time of year. Everybody's exhausted. They're kind of waiting for September to come around where they can bring up reinforcements and have an expanded bullpen and kind of get these guys the rest. So, I think... I'm most worried about Kimbrell, oddly enough. Um, but overall, I really don't see... Like, people are acting like this bullpen can't win in the playoffs, and I think that's bananas. Brian, what's your worriness level? I mean, I agree with Matt. The only thing that seems worrisome is Kimbrell. I wish you could take, like, Brazier's brain and put it into Kimbrell, because the one thing I like <laughs> about... Brazier is he uh, goes he uses his stuff and goes right at the guy and Kimbrell does the same thing after he blows it he summarily usually just gets people out because he's like oh I'm just gonna throw fastballs now because I'm mad and then they all strike out just do that the first time uh, but I think that my worries about that are and we talked about this last week Jake it's like Craig Kimbrell's is as uh, in place on the Red Sox as anybody. And there's not much you can do about it instead of, except for hold on tight. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's uh, that's kind of where it's at. My I would put my wariness, my worried level about this uh, unit as a whole on a scale of one to 10 at like a five, maybe. Like I, I'm just okay, not. But I just want to say, I just want to say, you said there was a blip in August again. Yeah. <laughs> They've had one blip. They lost once. Right. Exactly. It just it hasn't really affected them because 
well, I guess I think for most teams, these struggles that the bullpen has had in August would be much more highlighted than they are for the Red Sox, simply because the Red Sox have been really adept at coming back later in games. And like we saw that last night with the Brock Holt home run. I mean, these these things just happen for this team. Um, and even, I mean, they did it to the Yankees. So the right. Yankees are on the other side of like nothing bad has happened to us, really. I mean, we've had blips. They've had major upheavals, but you wouldn't – I guess I wouldn't – you tweeted about the Yankees' bullpen sort of having down years, but at the same time, they're still good players. You yeah. know, If you look at it from the outside, it's easier to sort of uh, um, be more objective about it. And I guess the Red Sox don't have as big names as the Yankees, but I think they're just as good for the most part. Well, that's kind of the thing that Dave Dombrowski has been talking about all along. It's just like, yeah, we might not have the names, but we have like effective players back there. Um, that's one thing I wanted to talk about that I didn't put on the agenda, though. I'm glad you mentioned that, Brian. Um, I think it is sort of the, the sneaky little secret around uh, New York right now that um, for all the hype that this New York Yankees bullpen has been getting in it is great. But like Ben Lindbergh called it possibly the greatest bullpen ever assembled. Um, and I think he's right in that it's the greatest collection of names ever assembled. But I think that when you dig a little bit deeper into the performance of some of these guys, Araldis Chapman is having a down year for him. Um, Zach Britton is not the Zach Britton that he was pre-surgery. He still hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, Batances has been quite good. Robertson is good, but he's not... Daniel Robertson or David Robinson from... Uh, definitely not Daniel Robinson. Yeah, he's definitely not Daniel Robinson. Uh, but he's not as good as he was a few years ago as he's like aging now. Um, I think that there is a, a sense of comfort that the Red Sox have with facing those guys because they've seen them so many times. Uh, even Britain, you know, that's a guy they've seen a ton of times when he was with the Orioles. So I don't think that they have really that fear factor Um that a bullpen of that stature might otherwise have. So I guess what I'm saying is, even though it's clearly an advantage over almost every other team in the league, I don't think it's as big as an advantage as it looks on paper. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you're right that the Red Sox kind of have special advantage. They've gotten to Chapman a bunch. They've gotten to Tansis. They've gotten to Britain. So I don't know that there's really a bullpen in the American League that I'm that scared of i think oakland might be the bullpen i'm most scared of to be honest with you. that bullpen's filthy yeah i mean they're the only bullpen really pitching well in the american league right now trinan might be the best reliever in baseball right now i mean diaz you could chill on that three. but yeah i mean he's very good i mean but though seriously think about the year he's having who's having a better year than him well this bothers me they like he's have he might even if he's having the best year it doesn't mean he's the best reliever in baseball no but just right now edwin diaz yeah diaz Diaz is up there um yeah i mean they're they're deep too i mean but like i was saying this everybody's struggling right now and i think oakland's the only bullpen that's not so i'm not that scared of the yankees i'm not that scared of the indians even though they have a bunch of names too i'm really not that scared of the astros um there's just not there's not a bullpen that I wouldn't take the Red Sox over right now. Interesting. So you actually think the Red Sox bullpen compares favorably 
to every other situation out there aside from the A's in the American League playoff race? I think that they're leg and leg with everybody. I don't think there's a bullpen that is like a step ahead of everybody else. Interesting. Do you agree with Do that, you? Brian? I generally do, and I think that Matt is, I think, less making a bold claim, I think, than sort of, and he said this earlier, getting at the heart of what bullpens are, and that any team with at least two purportedly really good guys and other good guys can be great at times and be not great at times. And if you're going to be judged by the weakest link that comes up, it's very hard to minimize what that weakest link is going to be. Uh, even if you stock the bullpen with big names uh, like the Yankees have, you're always going to have to put in piddly guys. And if they give up the lead, then the bullpen isn't good. And it's just the nature of it. So I, don't know if I would take the Red Sox over the A's or over people, but I think that they're certainly just in the same group. Yeah, with... I think that's what I meant. I don't know that I'd take them over anybody, but I wouldn't like put anybody significantly ahead. And I think, I mean, you have to remember, they're going to have either Evaldi or Rodriguez in yeah. that group too, and that is a huge help. Yeah, that's a massive help. Uh, I just pulled up the uh, the reliever ranks by WAR right now, just to give you a sense of how the units are performing. And uh, which WAR? Uh, Fangraphs WAR. Yeah. Um, well, I think you know all these are flawed, and this WAR is based on FIP as well, so that's that's another issue. But the Indians unit ranks 28th in baseball. They've been awful, is it? Yeah, I mean that's that's a true tried and true weakness for what was supposed to be the biggest strength of that team, even with the additions of Simber and hand. So, I mean, that goes to show you what type of trouble they're in. The Red Sox are actually 0.1 ahead of the athletics for fourth right now, right ahead of them is the Astros in third place with 5.7 more. And then, uh, the Yankees are number one in baseball with 7.2. So where are the Red Sox in that fourth? They're fourth in DRA too. Yeah, they're fourth in baseball. So, I mean, they're right with teams. Like, I, I would still take the Athletics unit over the Red Sox. I think I... They have am... Fernando Rodney, though. And that's, <laughs> they... that's a point not in their favor. Yeah, that's a, that subtracts for sure. <laughs> I, I, I think the Astros are still going to be a pretty good unit, though, because I like Presley, I like Ozuna, um, and I like that they probably have the ability to do, to put a starter or so into that bullpen as needed. They showed that ability last year, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that again. I, think I actually Karma's think going to come for them and Osuna. I sure hope so. But the Yankees, when you look at them, they don't have the ability really because they're so short on starters to add anything to that bullpen. Like that bullpen is what it is, and it's not going to be different. And it's still very good, but I just don't think it's. Yeah, yeah. they don't have. Yeah, they don't have like a Lance McCullers to put in there. Sure. No. If, if they did, he'd be in the rotation right now. Yeah. All right, so let's move on from bullpens here. Um, I want to talk about this J.D. Martinez season because everybody has been writing about this lately as J.D.'s line is just getting more and more ridiculous, over 100 RBIs, 37 uh, home runs so far. Um, 
Alex Spear wrote a really good article comparing his season to Miguel Cabrera's 2012, uh, where he won the Triple Crown. And basically, uh, JD is better in every uh, number uh, that you can imagine uh, than Miguel Cabrera was, even when you adjust for sort of uh, the offensive environment that year as well. And then the other thing that was kind of blowing me away is that right now he's on pace to hit 330 with 50 home runs. And I don't know if any of you guys uh, saw this, but the only other people in history of baseball that have hit 330 with 50 home runs are Mickey Mantle, Jimmy Fox, who played for the Red Sox, uh, Hack Wilson, and Babe Ruth. That's the type of season he's having right now. That's a decent group. Yeah, it's stupid. He's so good. He's a machine built for hitting. That's. And he's not even the MVP. Candidate on his own team. It's wild. But, I mean, he's... He is better than he was with the Diamondbacks last year, and he hit 29 home runs in 62 games with the Diamondbacks last year. Like, before the season, the big thing was, like, everybody saying, oh, he's going to regress from what he was with Arizona, and that was better than what he was. And I agreed with that. I thought it was getting overblown, but I was like, yeah, obviously he's not that good. And he's playing, like, significantly better. It's just stupid. Watching him hit, I don't know. I haven't seen – I haven't had as much fun watching him hit since I watched Manny. I mean, he's that good. Yeah. He really can get to anything. He really sets people up. Um, I can't remember who he was going against the other day. Do you guys remember who threw him, like, two shitty sliders – and he looked like he was just flailing at them. And then he turned it into – it went from an 0-2 count to a full count. He took like six more pitches. Oh, I know you're talking about. And then hit it out on that one. And every every one of the announcers was just like, yeah, you, he totally was just setting him up for that. Well, that was a Manny thing. That was what Manny used to do too. Right. Th- I mean, Which that's, I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, that's what he crazy. said. He used to. It's crazy. Willie Mays too. Willie Mays said he used to do that. Yeah. That he would he I mean, would let pitches go down the middle early in the game and pitches he knew he could hit. Well, Manny's thing was he would look like a buffoon <laughs> against a slider on the first time, so they would throw it to him again and he'd be ready for it and he would just send it to the moon. Oh man, it was so crazy to watch because I was I was just like I was thinking to myself like what the fuck is he doing like those are pitches he could at least foul off you know um, it was just really really something else. What did uh, Bogarts called him a vending machine, which is yes. an interesting analogy. But yeah, I mean he is a machine. I don't know if I'd go with vending machine as my analogy, but did you hear the whole uh, description? Yeah, because he was like he gives out advice. It was a it was a rough analogy. You can do better <laughs> than that, Sander. You're like you're a very smart guy. I think he could do better than that. Yeah, he's like you know the machine that gives you a poker <laughs> or a sprite when you put I mean, in the I, money. It's not English isn't his first language, but he's a he's an extremely he's way smarter than me. I know that, so yeah, he I is. think he's better than that. Um, yeah, uh, that was that was really funny. Um, in terms of that Sports Illustrated article that just came out, did either of you get a chance to read that about uh, JD Martinez yet? I didn't know there was a Sports Illustrated article. Yeah, so I think you can find it online because uh, most of the SI articles are up there so. for free. Um, but it was really, really interesting when he was talking about his evolution um, from the time that he got released by Houston um, to the time that he got signed by Detroit. He basically 
he used um, Jason Castro's uh, hitting coach out in California to try and fix his swing because he was swinging down on the ball. And he goes and he sees these guys, and then he goes and plays uh, Venezuelan winter ball, and he gets the Venezuelan winter ball, and he is just crushing home runs. Like, just he, – he described it as he felt like he had been cheating. Like, the, the, he had just discovered, like, a cheat code in the game. Um, and the guys described his swing when he got there as one of the worst they've ever seen for a major leaguer. And he was like, well, this is a positive because I've gotten to the majors and hit 24 home runs with the worst swing in baseball. So what's going to happen if I can actually figure out how to make this the best swing in baseball? Um, and lo and behold, he's done it. But I think he's sort of a, an extreme example of a guy who can uh, – really know every little thing that his body's doing and kind of get himself to this point but just what a fantastic story uh and i recommend that everybody out here that listens to the podcast goes and checks that out because it's really cool yeah he watches tape of himself for every batting practice session in between batting practice he he said that he he loses a swing all the time so if he doesn't watch tape every day he's gonna lose it like for a long time i don't think that works for everybody there's definitely hitters that just need to not think about what they're doing but i mean obviously this is working for jd and it's i mean it's like i said he's a machine i haven't seen anything like it since manny speaking of players who didn't need to think about what they were doing that's a manny thinking joke i know he was very smart and manny was like a student of hitting yeah he, he was really not was not a student of anything else but he was he, he worked he worked his ass off that yeah, was oh, yeah he was like the first guy in the cage every day and he peed in the green monster. <laughs> he did a lot of other things. Um, so Red Sox right now are on pace for 115 wins. Uh, Matt, Brian, and I gave our predictions last week. I wanted to get your prediction for what they do. Uh, I think Brian, what were you at? 106. I, yeah, you were at 106. Um, I was at 112. What do I you would like to. I would do? like to. Amend, I would like to amend my prediction. <laughs> okay, you you can amend Brian, and then Matt, you tell me what. No, no, Matt. Do. Matt goes first, and then I'll amend. Okay. I'm gonna say, 114. Oof. I think they. Yeah, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna do it. Oh my god. <laughs> that would be awesome. I don't think they have. Uh, I don't think they're going to rest guys as much as people are anticipating. Like, this isn't basketball or football or anything where you just start, like, not playing guys. You need to play in baseball to keep that rhythm. So, I mean, guys are going to get days off, obviously, but I don't think it's going to be enough to, like, really take them off track. When it... Speaking of which, Mookie Betts has today off. Um, yeah, they said that was going to happen, though, right? Um, yeah. You know that Ted Williams, uh, because in 47, they made the – um, they won the pennant, but then there was a playoff in the NL, and he went to play like a minor league game or something, and he got hit in the hand or something. He was terrible, in the, or not terrible in the series, but he was clearly diminished. Yeah, that was and the 46 series. 46, right. Yeah. He, was trying to, he was trying to stay sharp. But I think that there will... I agree with Matt, but I do think that there will be some noticeable resting. Uh, if they wrap it up, so I'm gonna just go to, I'm gonna go to a mere 110. 
Okay. Uh, to put in context where that would put them, uh, as we said last week, all-time records 116 since 1961 when they came to the new schedule. If Matt's right, they'll equal the 1998 Yankees. And if either I or Brian is right now, uh, they will surpass uh, the – what is this? Um, the 1969 Orioles and the 1961 Yankees uh, for third-best all-time. Uh, the team record is 116 for the Mariners. No, 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 no. the Red Sox record. Oh, 105. 105. Yeah, yeah they're gonna they, destroy uh, that. But the, yeah, they can go under 500 the rest of the way and still break the team record. That is so crazy. It's it's insane. But uh, yeah, the 1969 and 61 teams uh, had 109 wins. So. They're, uh, they're right there. And I think uh, there was a good article on Fangraphs uh, last week uh, that kind of spelled out their probability for the rest of the year of achieving these different benchmarks. And uh, they have like something like a 37% chance of um, going over 110, uh, which is just stupid. It's crazy. They, uh, they need a – to break the record – I had a tweet earlier. Yeah, they need a 756 win percentage to break the all-time record, the Mariners record. And they've had three months this season with a higher win percentage than that. Mike and Cameron it's not, thinks they can do it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think I would bet on it just because betting on things like that rarely end well. But, I mean, it's more possible than it should be. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, next thing we want to get to, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is uh, on pace to be the league MVP. Uh, Brian and I talked about this last week. Uh, we both think he's going to win the award. Um, but uh, more importantly, I think in a historic context, Mookie Betts, I think, has already, in my opinion, achieved the status of greatest right fielder in the history of the Red Sox. Uh, I think he's definitely taken that title from Dwight Evans, Dewey. Uh, who was a great fielder in his own right. But um, do you guys think he is the greatest right fielder in the history of the Red Sox? Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Passing the buck here. Well, I mean, he's 25. So uh, if you're saying, is this the best season a right fielder has had? The answer is probably yes. Uh, and for him to be the best of all time, I just think he needs to do it a couple more years. It's not that he doesn't have the talent or isn't putting up the numbers, but, you know, he's 25. Um, so as it's not – I'm not saying anything bad about Mookie Betts. I'm just saying it just – it all depends on how you phrase the question. But to any question uh, where his sort of lack of seniority – is put aside, the answer is probably yes. I'm not that old to have seen all of them. So. <laughs> That's why I was passing it to you. Well, I, I, the reason why I asked is because uh, Mookie Betts just hit for the cycle, and Alex Spear put out a really good article on August 10th, basically talking about some of the ridiculous things he's done since he's come into the big leagues on uh, June 29th, 2014. Uh, and so I want to read a few of these things to our readers just or our listeners just so they understand just how crazy this guy is. Um, not that they already don't, but he's hit three homers in a game four times. He's produced more seasons with 2020, 20 homers and 20 steals, than anyone else in team history already. He's the youngest Red Sox player to reach 100 homers and 100 steals 
and just the third overall to reach both milestones. He joined Ted Williams as the only Red Sox players with 60 extra base hits in four seasons through his age 25 season, and he's won back-to-back gold gloves while playing perhaps the best right field defense in team history. Um, and most recently, he hit for the cycle. So, uh, And he's also on pace for a 10-war season right now, which would put him in company with Carl Yastrzemski, Ted Williams, Tris Speaker, and Rico Petroselli uh, in Red Sox history. So pretty good. Yeah, he's super good at baseball. <laughs> he's really good. Matt, do you agree he's the favorite for the AL MVP? <laughs> Yeah, I think he's going to win. I don't think – I think you guys kind of discounted Jose Ramirez last week. I'm not going to lie. I might – I think I would probably vote for Ramirez right now. But yeah, I but think you're just a middle this. infielder, like, little fanboy with your Didi Gregorius love. Is uh, well, all right. If we're going to be accurate, third base is my favorite position. So. Third base is also my favorite position, Matt. I didn't know that about you. That's what I played growing up, so nice. um, I enjoyed this. I He's think all, Jose Ramirez is also a third baseman. So. I think that – I, I agree. There's nothing about Jose Ramirez's season that could like – it's it's incredible. And, uh, he just, just played more. That's why I would go for him. Yeah, but the Red Sox are going to win 100 million games. So I get it. I, get, I think that it seems right now like Mookie is the, the clear favorite – even though the group suggests that there shouldn't be one, it does seem like he is a clear favorite. There's still a month and a half left. I mean, yeah, Trevor something... Bauer could have won the Cy Young, and now he just hurt his foot. Now Chris Halich can just – they can mail it to him. Edwin Diaz is going to get some Cy Young work. But, no, I think for MVP, it's Ramirez, Betts. You watch Trump. your mouth on the Edwin Diaz thing. It's Chris Sale or bust. I'm, I don't think it should happen. I'm telling you, he's going to get a lot of hype. Yeah, I think uh, unless Sale royally screws up, he's going to win it. the bullpen report. Yeah, of course you think that. <laughs> um, and, and, Matt, I discounted uh, Jose Ramirez all the way down a second on my MVP ballot last week. Yeah. Disrespectful. Yeah. Disrespectful. I guess I wasn't really listening when you guys were talking. <laughs> I think uh, I was doing dishes. I'm shocked you listened to it at all, so I'm yeah, just proud that. background noise while I was doing dishes. No flatties. So. Oh, okay. We'll take it. We'll take it from you. Um, no Background noise. I guess I'll take well, Last it. time I listened to you guys, I had a meltdown in the talking parking lot. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. We have that effect on people, especially when we're together. Um. So you know how uh, earlier in the year Mookie Betts was on pace for the most runs in a single season by a player, and like people were talking about that. It was probably like three months ago. Not about that. Do not remember that. So yeah, it was a thing for a while because he was scoring runs at just a ridiculous pace, and then Mookie Betts got hurt, and he sort of fell off that for a while because he missed a whole bunch of games. So when he came back from missing all those games, I want to say he was roughly 20 runs behind Francisco Lindor in terms of the league leaders. I looked up yesterday at the runs scored, and he was two runs behind Francisco Lindor. So that just goes to tell you like the type of pace that Mookie Betts has been on when he's been on the field in terms of scoring runs. I mean, this guy... He gets himself in scoring positions in front of uh, JD Martinez. Oh, totally. But like, also what he does with his own bat and what he does with base running. I mean, it's just incredible to be able to make up that gap against Francisco Lindor in that amount of time. 
Out of yeah. all the things we can say about this team, without question, they're the best base running team, even though they run into stupid outs or have and maybe if I think uh, they've gotten better in the they have. But they're... I was uh, trying to look up numbers and I couldn't find like half season splits on that. But it feels like they've gotten a lot better over the last couple months. But they're also the, the best collection of base Did runners. He? Yeah. Me and Echo, Brain Brothers. That's, that's Shed, hey, why don't we pump the brakes, Matt? You know? <laughs> All right. I, w- I would want to think that about I was going to try and slip that by and see, hope nobody noticed, but apparently <laughs> I didn't. Can't get anything by Brian. Shit. Um, let's talk about Eovaldi for a second, because he's the pitcher going tonight against uh, Vince Velasquez. Um, from what we've seen of Eovaldi, um, definitely has been way better than I thought he was going to be uh, since he's come to the Red Sox. But uh, I think one of the things that might be underrated is the amount that this cutter has really transformed his repertoire. And my question to you guys is, if he continues to pitch like this, do you think that the Red Sox should really try and retain him next year? And uh, do you think he has any potential to be part of the playoff rotation? Brian, do you want to answer about next year? No. Matt's trolling right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I... Yes, not I only not only am I very old, I can see it in the future. <laughs> so I can do both those things. <laughs> I don't know about next year, and I think he's going to be in the bullpen in the playoffs. Um, I think that cutter is awesome, but I think Eduardo Rodriguez is a better starter. And I think they're going to want him starting a playoff game over Evaldi. And Evaldi's stuff in, like, two or three inning stints should be, like, bananas. I'm excited for that. I think that could be really good, too. And you know, Dabrowski said that was the plan. Like, he came out and said that Evaldi is probably going to be the bullpen in the playoffs. The one thing I could see screwing that up, though, is we have seen from Eduardo Rodriguez when he does come back from injury that he takes a while to kind of get back. And I wonder how much of that had to do with the fact that his knee issue was never really resolved. And this is a different yeah, injury, it's obviously. Not, so. He's talked about it this year that he's, like, feeling more aggressive and not, like, worrying about his knee. So you're right. That is a concern. Um, we should probably be a little worried about that but if he's confident in himself i definitely think he's i think he's the third best starter in the rotation yeah i think stuff wise he definitely is he's been awesome and the results have been pretty good he's got almost a three and a half era on the year so he's been good when he's been healthy um last couple things before we get to injury questions uh kinsler is rehabbing should be back this week Uh, matt already alluded to that uh, reports on Eduardo Rodriguez that he could be back by the end of the month. Um, and, and Matt, we were talking about this a little bit before we came on today. How do you think the roster is going to end up shaking out with uh, Eduardo uh, coming back and when Kinsler comes back? Who moves and who stays? I mean, I'm assuming Velazquez goes down when Kinsler comes back because they've been playing with a short bench like forever and that has to end now because they have no other position players that can be sent down other than Holt that's not going to happen um, and then Rodriguez either he's going to be back in September and it won't matter or he's going to be back in like the last week of August and they'll send Brazier down 
just to preserve depth, and they can afford to send him down for a couple days before bringing him right back in September. If that happens, he probably wouldn't even go to Pawtucket. They would just, like, let him chill for a few days before coming back. But, yeah, I don't I don't think they're going to do anything crazy, like get rid of Pomerantz. He's actually been pretty good in the bullpen. I don't think they're going to get rid of Joe Kelly or anything like that. So, yeah, I think it's Velasquez to Pawtucket soon, and then depending on how quick Rodriguez can come back, maybe Brazier gets off the roster for a few days. You think they send him to Aruba, or where, where does he go? <laughs> No, I think they're going to send him to a decent hotel in Boston if he doesn't already have a place. Nice. That'd be good. Nice, Maybe a Boston Harbor Hotel. Nice view. I don't know any hotels in Boston, but sure. Yeah, sounds nice. Um, all right, so last thing that I wanted to talk about, and this note probably made no sense to any of you guys, but um, just Cora putting swagger into this team. Um, the reason why I wanted to mention this is because um, – there's been a lot of really excellent reporting on the team this year, and I think one of my favorite uh, anecdotes has been things that Cora has said in regards to why the Astros beat them last year, the Red Sox when they played them, and also development of guys like Xander Bogarts and uh, you know Mookie Betts' continued development and things like that. Um, and throughout all of these different things, the thing that has been cohesive is – Cora talking about these guys sort of having a little bit of swagger because I think we've seen with this group that Bogarts and JD Martinez and like some of these other guys just have personalities where they're really um, humble. You know, even Mookie Betts is very, very humble. And I think that in order to be successful, um, one of the things that you need to do is, you know, be a little bit cocky about your abilities and maybe not cocky, but confident. Um, and I think that. Cora has done a tremendous job instilling that confidence in these guys and kind of getting them to be more aggressive on first pitch and be more aggressive in counts and all that type of stuff. And uh, I guess it's just more of a feel thing from all the stuff that I've been reading about the team throughout the year. But I just think that might be the biggest difference. You know, the, the team does take on the personality of its manager. And I was at the game where Cora went ballistic uh, in the first inning when they threw at uh, uh, Mookie Betts and he went out and yelled that, you know, they're throwing at the best player in baseball. And I just think that that attitude that Cora brings to the park every day is maybe the biggest difference uh, for this team in terms of why they've been so successful this year. Yeah, I think I think that kind of takes away from John Farrell a little bit. I think we're kind of too easy to, or we're making it too easy to put all of the offense on Alex Cora when even before Cora was hired, pretty much everyone was saying there's no way the offense is as bad as it was last year. Um, I think Cora's great. I think he's great for the team. I'm hesitant to give a manager that much credit at any point. I just think the players are super talented and he is getting the best out of them. But at the same time, I think there are other managers that could get almost as much out of this team, at least. Brian, where do you stand on this? You've seen a few more moons than us. You know what? Knock it off. Um, <laughs> I, you probably remember Morgan Magic, don't you? Yeah. Uh, I... Uh, than actual yes but i uh, 
but I, I'm sort of in between the two of you. But I think that if you want to divvy up the credit on that front, you probably divvy it up. Like, because we're sort of just guessing, obviously. And when you say teams take on the personality, that's just another way of saying like we're guessing. You know, we see this thing, and like it all goes together. When you're winning, it all looks great. But it, not to take away from Cora, but I would say, given what you said about JD earlier, if you want to, I mean, he's both the player who is the biggest difference um, in that he's there. I mean, certain you know players are better than. Betts is better than he was last year. Benintendi is better than he was last year, et cetera, et cetera. But JD is there, and as you were saying, like maybe he has something to do with JBJ. I don't know. Certainly, Cora probably doesn't. He, uh, he was Bradley was bad for the first few months under Cora, and maybe JB, maybe JD helped him. I don't know. But I think that the, a lot of the new blood works well, um, and it was not an accident. You know this the way the team is constructed uh, is meant to maximize these connections but Cora's ability to connect with older uh, and younger players and Latin and American players and uh, JD just stepping right in like he's been here the whole time so obviously there's been a culture change and it's weird to say that because they were so good, but last year just seemed like a slog. Uh, this year they're I happy. still don't think that's as true as people it, say. It, I mean, there was I, a time like this time in last year was electric. Like when Devers was getting hot and Nunez was kind of providing a spark. I kind of feel like people just like wiped that aside. That was pretty, yeah, they were wiping it aside at the time, though. I'm not saying that this is like – I'm not trying to retcon it here because we had these conversations last year. We had these conversations about why aren't people more excited about this team. And yeah, Devers was exciting, uh, but he was the only – those guys were the only guys hitting. Yeah, I definitely have to disagree. I did not feel any sort of the same level of excitement or enjoyment watching the team last well, year as I did this okay. year. excited because yeah. somebody was actually hitting the ball, not that, like, seven guys were hitting the ball. Right. Right. Well, obviously, we weren't as excited. I mean, this team is, like, possibly the greatest team of all time. Like, obviously, we're not that we're, we aren't that excited. I don't know. I think Cora is great. I think if – the thing you can give him the most credit for is having a plan of keeping everybody fresh all year and not deviating from it at all. That's like that's that's like our Farrell in trouble. Well, yeah, no, I look, I think core is better than Farrell. I just think people are too quick to dismiss the Farrell teams over this one. I mean, Farrell had pretty good offensive teams too. If Farrell was the manager of this team, and plus, I think Cora gets a lot of credit for them being Jake, more. Jake, that, that Jake, I think you might want to pump the brakes on that, buddy. <laughs> I got it. I wanted to see if anyone would catch that. Yeah, no, I caught it. <laughs> Matt didn't catch it. I don't know what's going on. I just said if Farrell was the manager of this team, they win 95 games. He's <sighs> just trolling. Don't You're getting me mad. Yeah. <laughs> Do you need to go to Target for something? I really do. I could use another fan. It's getting really humid again. Who could not go to Target for something at any given time? I like wake. I don't. I like blackout and end up in the Target parking lot. I don't even know why I'm there. 
bottle of Rubinoff in the hand? I don't drink hard alcohol, Jake. Oh. Yeah. Poor choice. I used to, and I used to drink a lot of Rubinoff, which is probably why I don't drink hard alcohol. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's 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 wrap this up here with uh, before we get to listener questions. What do you think the uh, the the win difference between Farrell and uh, and Cora would be with this same team? Do you think it would be anything? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What do you think? Cora. Uh, What's he worth? Five wins? I was going to say three or four. Okay. And that's not insignificant. No. Neither. Like, I don't want to discount Cora. He's awesome. I just think people act like Farrell was garbage. And it kind of makes me angry. Brian, how many wins do you think? I'm totally with Matt. Three or four. Okay. I'm I'm 10 plus. Shut up. That's insane. I'm serious. I'm serious. No, oh, I know you're Ten serious. Plus. You're just there's no. What you're basing it so on is just like enough. a feeling. Yes, um, a feeling. Baseball is played by human beings with feelings. I think that it and matters with a lot. Skill. Right, but right, right, but they also have skills. Yeah, and they, they have, have skill. JD. Right. This year they have JD Martinez's skills. Hey, JD counts for a lot, but also not having what, a. What's his What's his wins above? Not having a. The guy who won two straight division championships and World Series, like John Farrell, is a good manager. I didn't want to get into this, but I'm gonna to have to get into it. John Farrell, <laughs> no, just no. This is this is the part that I didn't want to have to get into. But John Farrell, I don't even think would have had his job if it wasn't for the cancer scare that he had. And for oh, come on, no, I'm I'm just being serious. The team played better uh, under. Um, Tori Lovello. The team clearly responded to him and they decided to give John Farrell back the reins. And I don't think people give it enough credit that John Farrell had no leg to stand on when he would talk about what things that people would do or not do in the clubhouse because John Farrell was carrying on an affair in the clubhouse. John Farrell was... A... How many games do you think they should have won 2016-2017? I don't know. I, I just... I think they would have been a little bit better if they had someone like Cora, but I just – I think that they had a passive mentality because I don't think that that manager had any fire, and I don't really think they respected him all that much. I think that the reason why that team was – those teams under John Farrell were cohesive and good teams was because largely they had David Ortiz to – They didn't have David Ortiz last year. Ship. They didn't, but – I think that David Ortiz was a big part of what got that clubhouse through a bunch of shit that the manager brought in himself. David Ortiz was also on the in the clubhouse for some really terrible shit that happened with the clubhouse. Yeah, it was and he was there for Bobby Valentine. And I mean, chicken and beer. That's true. Hey, I, I, I've, I've been very wrong before, guys. This is, uh, this is not news. It's just the, the way that I feel about it. Well, this is not like there's no way to prove this. It's just a no. discussion. Yeah, exactly. So it's not. It's less about being right or wrong. You are wrong, but it's yeah, not. Yeah, I was about gonna say that. you're wrong. Let's <laughs> not rush by that. Yeah, I just didn't like Farrell. That well, that's that's it. And we we it's Farrell and David Price are your boys. Yeah, they're definitely my boys. Yeah, but David Price wants to make you eat it, and you're going to say, oh, wait until he faces the Yankees. I will eat a 
David Price shit sandwich if uh, they go out and win the World Series, and he's a big reason as to why. I'll say he's the greatest pitcher ever for the Red Sox. Don't say that. Well, that's stupid. Don't well, say yeah, that. Yeah, it's Don't wrong. But um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give him credit. How about that? If, I'll give him credit. If David, if David Price does what you want him to do, you need to say Bobby Pointer is one of the best pitchers <laughs> in the history of the Red Sox. I'll already say that just because I love you, Brian. Thank you. It's uh, a shame. It, Brazier really, I mean, I thought Brazier really is exactly what I thought Pointer was going to uh, end up being, uh, except for right-handed, obviously. Yeah, but, and five miles an hour more of Velo. Well, it's not like, I mean, yes, obviously that's true, but uh, results-wise, they're pretty much in the same ballpark. I just mean in the I I, I don't mean uh, in the stuff, I mean in the role. Yeah. That they're going to have a guy... Uh, who was going to be a rookie, an older rookie who had, there was a space for that guy. And I was like, well, it's Bobby Pointer. He's right here. He's great in spring training and he was good. But Brazier is obviously the guy they prefer. All right. I agree. Uh, listener questions. Ligas Menores says any prospect could join the Sox on September. Uh, I want some names for prospects who could uh potentially come up and join the club in september uh matt you want to throw out a few names travis lakins is probably the biggest one um chandler shepherd sam travis still a prospect because he'll probably be up i don't think he's a prospect though yeah he had a couple good games yesterday though i guess That's good. yeah i mean they don't really have Terrabin Feltman's the guy that everybody wants to see. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think Travis Lakins is probably the most exciting, which depends on your definition of exciting, I guess. Uh, Sox prospects guys think that Lakins is not only going to come up, but have a pretty good success when he does come up. I wouldn't be surprised. I love Lakins. I think he's, I liked him as a starter. I am super excited about him. Yeah, he has really, really good stuff, like late inning potential. Um, so he would be interesting. Do you think that uh, Marcus Walden gets to come up again? Yeah, I didn't really think he's a prospect, but he's on the 40, man, so yeah, they'll probably have him sitting in the bullpen and he'll appear in a game or two. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Pointer and... Yeah, Lake, I mean, Lakens I guess and, you know, everybody on the 40, man, will be up. Yeah. They I, have nothing else to do. The Pawtucket season is ending soon, so... Anyone and aside from Lakin's not on the 40, man, you guys think will come up? No, I don't either. I definitely think that, and we were talking about people resting, that the arms will get a considerable yeah, rest. Sure. Yeah. 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 Levers aren't going to be used nearly as much in September. Going to see a lot of Chandler Shepard, Walden, Haley, Cuevas, all those guys. So. Cuevas, uh, I guess, got hit by a line drive today, and it looked, Spears said it looked pretty bad, so Ooh. see what happens there. But Be uh, thinking about him for sure. Um, next question. Leonardo uh, Pereira says, should we keep Joe Kelly for next season? I know I want to. Brian, do you want to? I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, with the, with the season like he had this year, I, I just – I don't know what to expect. If they have him, great. If they don't, they can replace him. Matt, tell me I'm wrong. I no, I think that's pretty much right. I don't, I don't think there's any point in resigning him, but I also don't think he's gonna get a contract that's gonna make me mad if they do resign him. So. I don't want him. 
I don't yeah, think he's on. He's on the list too. He's on your list. He's on my list. He's on the list. He's gonna get like one year and like three million dollars. So whatever. They can cut him after spring training. If he's Let it be with the National League team. Uh, Matt, what are the uh, no, no, not not you yet. Matt is the <laughs> question asker. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, what are the chances Brandon Phillips uh, being a September call up? Matt, any chance? I think there is a chance. I should, probably should have mentioned him as a guy not on the 40 man. I just feel like he could have opted out and he didn't, and he must have seen a road to the September roster and maybe getting a ring. Um, so I haven't really dug into the 40 man yet and seen how they can make room for him, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's up in September, just as like a minor role and then giving him a chance, an outside chance to get a ring. Okay. I mean, I don't know what role he would really fill if he did come up. I, he'd uh, be like, I, he's better than Tony, or he could possibly be better than Tony Renda. And so okay. that's his role. They don't have a lot of depth, like position player depth in the minors. All right. Um, next question comes from Eric Von Handorf, and he says, how are attendance revenues split? As in, if the Sox play to small crowds, mostly Sox fans in Baltimore and Tampa Bay, do they make substantially less gate money than the O's in Tampa Bay make playing before sellouts in Fenway? Uh, do concessions and or souvenir sales get split with visitors? Doesn't want to go to the home team? I thought I it all that. did. I thought yeah, that's what your I, I thought your gate and your concessions all went to the home team. Yeah, I I, I think that's, sure that's true. I the, think that the, I think there would be a lot of teams that didn't exist if that wasn't the case. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's the good thing about Baltimore hosting the Yankees and the Red Sox is that they get money for that. Um, but we could be wrong about that, but I really don't think we are. Uh, next question comes from Dan Allen. Is there any chance we see Durbin Feltman in the big leagues this September? Matt says no. Brian, what do you say? Matt says no. I say no. All right. I say <laughs> no, too. Uh, next next question. year. Actually, he'll compete at, for opening the next year. I agree with that. Uh, Murray123 says, do you think Chavis gets called up on September 1st? Anybody think so? No, but I saw him for the first time yesterday, and he didn't like have that great of a game, but that dude – his bat makes loud contact. I I am all in on Chavis after seeing him last night. What position do you think he plays long term, Matt? I don't think he's going to be with the Red Sox long term, so I think he's probably going to play third base, and I don't think he'll be with the Red Sox. But that bat, I think that bat's going to play. How soon does he get moved? Do you think off season? It wouldn't surprise me, but. Okay. Because he's getting close to the point where he's got to Well, he could, he's, be he could be up next year, yeah. mid-season, with somebody, yeah, for sure. Um, next question comes from Alex Wise. What the hell happened to Stephen Wright? Uh, I'll take this one. Stephen Wright had the same uh, knee reconstruction surgery as uh, Pedroia, except he had it before, and he re-aggravated it. And uh, last I saw was a Twitter uh, video of him doing the slidey board thing with those uh, – little booties on to try and strengthen the knee. So 
there's still like really no timeline as to when he's going to come back because this is a surgery that not too many uh, people have had, I guess. I mean, certainly not position players, but um, uh, pitchers, a few pitchers have had it. So I think he's confident he'll be back at some point. Any Anything to add to that? I don't know that I'm that confident he's going to be back. Like just ever? Because of, no, this year. Oh, okay. At this point, if you don't have a timetable, I think it's fair to start wondering if you're going to come back at all. Oh, I don't think he's going to come back this year either. I oh, yeah. No, no, no. I don't think his career is over. No. Yeah, I don't think we see him again. Uh, Two-minute warning says, how does the postseason – how does the postseason uh, – oh, how does these, how do we see the roster shaping up, I guess, as everybody gets healthy for October? Uh, I guess we should talk about any big changes. Like, do you think that there'll be any sweeping changes to the roster when postseason time comes around? Why would they do that? One less pitcher, then they might add a pinch runner. That's about it. Yeah, I don't see anything huge. This is a 100 million win team. Um. Last question comes from uh, Ben Rusnak, and he says, biggest thing the Sox have to get right before the postseason? Uh, maybe a reliever? Yeah, that would be ideal, but it's not going to happen. Like, there's no reliever that's going to make it to them in relievers. I like that's the speed I like the speed guy idea. Yeah, I think that's – if they get anybody, that's what it's going to be. Somebody like Rajai Davis last year. It's going to be Paulo Orlando. So that I, that's my guess, and it's yeah. probably not going to happen. All right. Well, that about does it for the show. Thank you guys for all your questions. Uh, thank you for listening to the show if you enjoyed it. Uh, go ahead and log on to uh, iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, subscribe to us there so we come straight to your device. Uh, also, rate and review us. Give us five stars. Tell us how great we are. Um, and tell us what you think about Brian Joyner. Um, and then uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster for all your latest Red Sox news. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt R.Y. Collins. Brian on Twitter at, at Brian Joyner. Brian with a Y, Joyner with an I. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at DevJake. We'll be with you next week uh, at a very similar time. Rate me five stars, guys. <laughs> <laughs>